Hello, you're listening to Coaching Skills for Leaders. This is episode number four, recorded on September 10th, 2011. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to Coaching Skills for Leaders. My name is Dave Stahoviak. This is the show for leaders who want to develop their coaching skills so they can influence the success of others, their organization, and themselves. Whether you're a seasoned leader or you're leading people for the first time, improving your coaching skills will drive your success and most importantly, the success of others. Today's topic, what is coaching and why is it different from other development tools? Thanks so much for listening and so excited to have you back for the fourth episode here of the podcast. And someone who was listening to the show last week said, hey, this is great, but uh, oh, by the way, what is coaching? (laughs) And I had that thought that I, that really should have been the first episode of this podcast rather than episode number four. So, hey, I hope you will work with me here as I jump back a little bit and talk today about what is coaching, and what are some other learning and development tools. And I think about this a little bit like I think about this commercial I saw this week. Uh, My wife, Bonnie, was very kind to share a commercial that EDS did a long time ago on uh, just explaining complexity of trying to uh, do something successfully and be learning at the same time. And I think this podcast is a great example of that. And EDS has this wonderful commercial where they talk about how to build an airplane while they're flying it and show a, a basically a one-minute overview of what it would be like if you were trying to build an airplane at the same time it was up in the air. And it's hilarious. And I'll put a link to it on the show notes for this podcast because it's just a great metaphor for how we're all learning and doing at the same time. So hopefully you'll bear with me as I jump back here a little bit and talk about what is coaching. And uh, we'll start it off here with Plato, Plato, everyone's favorite philosopher. Plato said that the beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms. So let's define some terms today. And while I'm defining these terms, you will likely be thinking of applications, tools, resources, but also questions, comments, and feedback for me. And so as you are thinking about questions or comments, be sure to jot down this number, 877-LEARN-45. And that's how you can reach out to me with questions, comments, or feedback. Or you can email feedback at innovatelearning.com. Again, that's feedback at innovatelearning.com. So let's jump right in here and talk about what are some of the different development and learning models that are out there and how are they distinct from each other. So today I'm going to look at leading, managing, training, mentoring, consulting, even counseling and then talk about those in relation to coaching, where there are similarities between all of those things and where there are differences. A lot of the time we use these terms interchangeably. And while there are similarities between all these terms, they're all learning tools, they're all ways to develop people, they're all ways to help people improve their lives and their work, they are all also very distinct. And so let's take these one at a time, look at each one of them, and go through some of the distinctions. So let's start off with leading, leading or leadership. Leadership is one of those terms that if you get 30 doctoral students in leadership together and went around the room and asked everyone what their definition of leadership was, 
you would get 30 different answers. And as many leadership books as I have read over the years, I don't think I've once seen two books with the exact same definition of leadership. But that said, there are certainly similarities in many of the leadership definitions. And the way I look at leadership is leadership is creating environments that achieve a shared vision. Now, that probably begs a question from you, which is what is a shared vision? Well, a shared vision is a term that was first coined by Peter Senge in the book, or at least the first time I know that it was defined, was in the book The Fifth Discipline. It was published back in the 90s. Peter Senge is a professor at MIT and has done a wonderful job of really establishing and defining what a learning organization is. And a shared vision is the process of creating a vision where everyone buys into that vision and it is shared amongst a group of people. It's not just one person's vision. And unfortunately, in many businesses and organizations today, a vision, a quote-unquote vision, is either a sentence on a wall or it is the vision of one person, but not necessarily the vision of a group of people. The best way to think about this is I like to think of when I visited the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, France, when I was in high school. And the first time I walked into Notre Dame, I you walk in, and if you've ever been to Paris, you'll appreciate this, this story, is when you go into the cathedral and you walk to the center of the cathedral and you look up either to the left or the right, you see the most amazing example of stained glass windows in the world. And they're called the rose windows of the Notre Dame Cathedral. There's a if there's a east or west or north or south, doesn't matter. They're there. And as you look up at these windows, the craftsmanship, the just the the work that went into creating this amazing work of art is unbelievable, especially when you consider that it was done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And the amazing thing about a beautiful stained glass window, and the rose windows are probably the best example of this, is if you were just to look at one piece of that stained glass window, you would see a very beautiful color. You would see a beautiful piece of glass, and you would see the sun going through it, and you would see that it would create a very unique and beautiful view of the world. And in addition, that piece, that same piece of glass also can play an amazing role in creating the larger picture. So what's amazing about the stained glass windows of the Notre Dame Cathedral is not the individual pieces themselves, but it is the pieces in alignment with each other. And when you align them in such a way as the craftsman did who designed the rose windows, you are left with this amazing sight. And if you've never seen it, by the way, I'll put a link to it here on the show notes of what, a, of what the rose window looks like. But the more important uh, lesson here is that that's exactly what a shared vision is like. A shared vision is taking all of the individual visions of the people who work in an organization or work on a, in a team in a group and bringing them all into alignment with each other so that they create a shared vision that is leading to a larger and greater good. And so leadership is a big piece of creating environments that achieve that shared vision. And one of the, uh, I think, great examples of the last century was back in the 1960s in the space race. 
And uh, in 19, uh, it was 61 or 62, I can't remember the exact date, President uh, Kennedy, I guess it must have been 61 because he was elected in 60. Uh, President Kennedy spoke about setting a vision for going to the moon. And he set a vision that said, before this decade is out, we will send a man to the moon and bring him back safely. The bring him back safely is a key part of the vision too, right, by the way. And at the time he set that vision, people thought he was nuts because you know we didn't know how to do it yet. We barely could get a rocket off the you know, launch pad. We hadn't even sent anyone into orbit. And this was a, a powerful and compelling vision, but it was a shared vision and it ended up being a shared vision because it tapped into so many things that were important at that time in history. So it tapped into the fascination that people were starting to have with flight. It tapped into the growth of the aerospace companies at the time. It tapped into the resources that the country had and the booming economy in uh, that time, the 50s and 60s, that was creating incredible prosperity and wealth in America. It tapped into the desire of Americans to beat the Russians, and it tapped into national pride. And when you look at those four or five or six things that were going on in the country, in addition to a whole lot of other things, just about everybody in the country could 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 really identify with at least one of those, and in many cases, a number of those areas. And the vision became a vision that was not just Kennedy's, but was the vision of an entire country. And what an amazing result we had. We not only sent one man to the moon, we sent, I think, 12 or 14 once it was all said and done. What an incredible accomplishment. And it's a great example of what we call leading, leadership, creating an environment that helps people achieve a shared vision. Now, leadership is different from management. Management is establishing, monitoring, and controlling processes and procedures. So there's generally three steps to managing effectively. And this is distinct from leadership because management is really uh, overviewing these processes and procedures. And so step one is if we're managing a process or procedure or a person is we want to start off by communicating very clear expectations. There's no way that people can meet our expectations if we don't communicate them clearly up front. So that's always step one, being very clear about what the expectations are and what the end result will be. Step two, then, is some sort of follow-up. So that's either some sort of regular conversation or meeting or observation to ensure that the person or process or whatever is being managed is on the path to reach that larger objective. And then finally, step three is providing feedback and some sort of consequences for the process followed or not followed. And I use the term consequences globally. So consequences could be negative, but consequences could also be positive, positive feedback promotion, opportunities, all those things that come along and working in organizations and managing people effectively. I think back to the time I worked for a company called Score Educational Centers, which was my first full-time job when I came out of school. And in my work at the, at the center, I was a, what they called a center director. And so I managed a team of instructors and salespeople and really the entire business and all the marketing and uh, and uh, business operations that went along with running a center for kids who were learning math and reading skills. And a, for a good portion of the time I worked there, because we were a seven-day-a-week operation, I worked a staggered schedule. So often I would be managing people that I didn't necessarily work 
uh, I didn't necessarily work with on the same day. So they would work a you know Sunday through Thursday schedule and I'd manage them. I'd be working like Tuesday through Saturday. So when I'd come in after a couple of days of being off or, you know, if we hadn't connected for a few days, I, you know, inevitably ask, you know, how was the day? You know, how was the last couple of days? What were the results like? You know, what's been happening? And, you know, I generally get pretty good feedback from people and say, hey, everything went great. And, you know, we had good results and here's what happened. And people would always mention the good things that they'd done. And uh, but but, you know, that I still uh, always checked in on things. And one of the things that we would watch when we were working with the kids is how often that parents would utilize the membership that they had to the center and how often they would bring in their kids. And if kids hadn't come in very regularly, they would show up on our tracking list and we would try to reach out to parents and call them and make sure that they came in and used the membership for a couple of reasons. One is kids would learn a lot more if they were coming in regularly. Secondly, uh, you know, in a selfish way, we wanted to make sure that people continued to use the membership because if they didn't, they'd inevitably cancel their membership. So it was really a win-win. We wanted the client to win. We wanted to certainly continue to grow our business. And so one of the assignments in the center was someone managed that process of reaching out and calling people. Well, a lot of times <laughs> no one wanted to do it because uh, if they hadn't been in for a while, you know, we were worried, oh, you know, if I call them, are they going to try and cancel their membership? So it was not the, not always the most fun thing to do. And uh, I remember I often talked to people about, you know, what's the, you know, what, how are we doing on, uh, you know, the members that are on the outstanding list and are, have you called them? Have you checked in? But I'd always go back and I checked to see if the calls had been made. So even though I would have conversation and I would get feedback, I would always still be managing the process. So I'd communicate clear expectations as to when, you know, what results I wanted to see. I followed up with it consistently and I would always give feedback. So that's the process of managing, of establishing, monitoring, and controlling processes and procedures. We need to do that if we're in an organization or a business or a nonprofit, or even a religious institution, we need to make sure that things are continually moving along. Now, how is that different from training or teaching? And I'm going to use this training and teaching terms interchangeably because I think they're they're close enough for the purposes of the things that this audience will be looking at to use interchangeably. And this was actually part of the topic of last week's show, which was how to uh, teach adults effectively and some things to keep in mind when doing that. So training and teaching is transferring information from a knowledgeable party to a less knowledgeable party. And there's a lot of ways to do that. There are training classes you can go to. There are degrees you can take. There are things you can do online. In fact, one of the favorite training tools that I've come across in the last couple of years online is a website called lynda.com. It's L-Y-N-D-A.com. And they are a software training site. Used to be if you wanted to learn how to use a software application, you had to go take a class somewhere and you had to go at the pace of whatever the class was. Well, lynda.com has got this great membership site. You can set, you can sign up for like a membership for a day or a week or a month or even a year. And we've used it in our business. And it's great because you can go on there and they have all these videos, these little 10-minute videos around every aspect of a piece of software. And the great thing is, is you can go on there and you can learn as much about the software or as little about the software as you want. You can go at your pace. You can back up. You can jump around to the things that are most important to you. And that is really training and teaching in its purest form because they have a whole bunch of information that I need to know in order to run that software well. So when I go on there to learn about how to use software, I'm a less knowledgeable party than they are. 
So they have information that's knowledgeable to me, and they transfer it to me through what I watch online. Actually, this podcast is a training and teaching tool as well. Uh, you know, I'm a knowledgeable party about coaching skills and, and leadership to some extent. And so uh, you may have less knowledge uh, on that. In fact, it's likely you do. And if you didn't, you wouldn't be listening to me. You'd be listening to a different podcast. So this podcast is a tool for transferring information from one party to another. So one of the things that you'll, you know, you won't want to be aware of is that as a leader, you'll need to transfer information from one party to another in order to teach and train people on new skills. And so this is all part of the process of developing a person. Now, another tool that's often used is mentoring. Now, what mentoring is, is mentoring is providing advice and perspective from experience. So generally, this is uh, done with, you know, from someone who knows a lot about a process and has a lot of experience with it. And one of the examples of mentoring that have has consistently happened throughout my life is from my parents. And my parents are very knowledgeable because they have, you know, 30 or 40 years of experience that I don't have on so many of the things that I've gone through in my life. And particularly when it has come to things in my life, like insurance, buying a home, investments, uh, things that my parents have experienced, they've been wonderful tools and resources for me to be able to learn about those uh, things that were important for me to learn about and to really get their perspective and their experience. And in organizations, we see mentoring happen too. Mentoring can be very formal or informal. Many organizations have formal mentoring programs and, and many organizations have relationships that emerge that are informal mentoring. Mentoring is less about the position. It's more about what is being communicated. So anytime you're seeking the advice and perspective of, of someone who has experience and they're providing that, that's a mentoring relationship or a mentoring conversation. And mentoring is different from the next tool, which is consulting. So consulting is making recommendations based on expertise. And one great example of this is uh, my wife, Bonnie, has a tremendous amount of expertise around e-learning and online learning and how to help people learn over the internet. And so we've had clients who have hired us around expertise, you know, her expertise in being able to recommend solutions and in some cases even build e-learning solutions that will help people to learn effectively and help organizations to understand how they can utilize that technology in order to really get good results with their folks. So she's often making recommendations based upon a particular a particular focused area of expertise that she has. And so that's what consulting is, is when you're making recommendations uh, to someone and you have a particular uh, set of expertise that they do not have. And so that's, that's what we're looking at when we're looking at consulting. Now, before saying what coaching is, I want to mention briefly about counseling or therapy. And uh, unfortunately, coaching sometimes uh, misunderstood as far as the distinction between counseling and therapy. So I think this is something that's important to mention. What counseling and therapy is, is it's helping an individual reframe the past in order to improve their future. And this is dealing with the past issues that people have and focusing there. And what I would advise you to do strongly is don't do this as a leader. If you're in an organization, if you're in a business, if you work for a university, if you work for a nonprofit, 
And someone needs to focus on reframing their past or they're dealing with a lot of past issues that are keeping them from being effective. You don't want to be driving into that territory as a leader. And so every organization has resources to handle that. And so if you find yourself, if you're in a business, you want to make sure to uh, tap into the resources that are available through human resources in your organization or the employee assistance program. If you work in a university, certainly human resources is a great resource for you. In addition, the counseling center is always a good resource. So counseling and therapy is an important tool for people. It's not something we should be doing as leaders. That's something we should leave to people who have an expertise, training, and and licenses to do that because that becomes very dangerous territory. So just to mention that, because all these other things we will do as leaders, we're not going to be doing counseling or therapy. So this brings us to coaching. Now, coaching is one of those terms that there are a lot of definitions for, and I hear a lot of definitions around coaching that, to me, are just way too general and way too broad to be helpful. So, for example, I often hear that coaching is a results partnership. Well, coaching is a results partnership, but that's also a very broad definition and doesn't really tell me a whole lot about what coaching is because it's too general. Mentoring is also a results partnership. You know, when someone's mentoring you, they're hoping you're going to produce good results and and you're partnering with them. Training is a results partnership. So it's not that coaching isn't a results partnership. It's just that so are all these other things too. So it doesn't provide me as someone who wants to learn about coaching with a real distinct definition. Uh, The uh, probably the best known organization out there for people who do coaching professionally is an organization called the the International Coach Federation, or ICF. And the way that they define coaching is coaching is partnering with clients in a thought-provoking and creative process that inspires them to maximize their personal and professional potential. Well, (laughs) there's a couple of things I don't particularly care for with this definition either. And the first one is that it says that coaching has to be with a client. Well, I disagree with that. I think that's one place that you can do coaching, but I also think you can do coaching with an employee. I think you can do coaching with a peer. I think you can do coaching with a volunteer. In some cases, even a family member with their permission. So coaching isn't just about you know you hiring someone to coach you. It's about also how can you utilize that tool as a leader? How can you utilize that tool as a peer or a colleague? So I disagree with that definition. And the other, the other thing I disagree with this dis- definition is it's just too broad. Uh, you know, when the ICF says partnering with clients in a thought-provoking and creative process, well, why can't consulting be that? Consulting is partnering with clients in a thought-provoking and creative process that inspires them to maximize their potential too, right? Uh, so is training. So is managing in many ways. So again, it's a very broad definition. doesn't really say exactly what coaching is. Actually, my favorite uh, definition from an organization is an organization I'm a member, Professional Coaches, Mentors, and Advisors. They're out of here, out here in Southern California. And I love what they have on their website. They say, the field of coaching is growing quickly and is continually redefining and refining itself in the process. Even coaching and consulting experts do not always agree on precise meanings and applications. Boy, that sure is the truth. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I love the honesty and the transparency of that statement because coaching is something that's still very much evolving. So, so let's look at what coaching really is. 
and and what coaching and what the research says that coaching is. And whenever there's ambiguity about something, I like to turn to what people who are researching this say. And the very first emergence of the word coach in the English language was back in the 1800s when the term coach was used as those carriages that were carried around by horses. And that was called a coach or a stagecoach. And actually, that's not a bad analogy for how the term coaching has evolved into today's organizations, because those those coaches or stagecoaches were used to carry someone from one place to another. It wasn't an instant moment in time. It was a process. You were taking someone from one place and bringing them to another place. And I really do have a belief that coaching is a process. And by the way, the research supports that too. Uh, Probably one of the best articles uh, that I've seen uh, was by two authors named Kampa Kokesh and Anderson. And this was written about 10 years ago, uh, but it's still very relevant. It's a very relevant article today because this particular article looked at all of the research to that point that had been done on coaching from uh, peer-reviewed research. And what peer-reviewed research is, is when uh, people who are out in the field doing research and experts on this have had their research then reviewed by other independent experts and professors and, and researchers. And then uh, they have said, yes, this person followed a good process. So they developed a six-step model to describe the process of coaching. And my definition of coaching is based upon their model. For me, coaching is developing a person through the process of rapport, assessment, feedback, planning, implementation, and evaluation. I'll say that again. Coaching is developing a person through the process of rapport, assessment, feedback, planning, implementation, and evaluation. Now, that's a long definition, so I'm going to break it down. So what rapport is, is we have to, if we're going to be coaching someone, if we're going to go through the process of developing someone, we have to start off with building the relationship first and establishing some trust. And that's what uh, we, you know, I demonstrated back in the second episode of this podcast, which is the model from the future reality obstacles and meaning in order to begin to build rapport with a person. And that was what I demonstrated with our guest, Matt Ross. And so that's a that's the beginning of building rapport, building the relationship. And then step two is doing some assessment. So we want to figure out where people are first before we start doing additional things that are going to take them along a development path. And uh, doctors know this really well. You, you'd never go to your doctor and sit out in the waiting room and have the doctor walk up to the front desk without seeing you and hand you a prescription. Prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. They always take you back to the exam room. They go through 20 or 30 minutes of asking you questions, going through a full examination, and then write the prescription or then give the advice. And so the same thing is true when we're developing people. We shouldn't be prescribing things before we know who they are and where they are. And so the process of observing them, using assessments, and also going through the questioning process is key to assessing people. And then we want to be able to give feedback. So we want to give feedback through data points for help to help people to understand where they are. And then the planning process begins. And planning isn't isn't very much unlike uh, a pilot 
really creating a fight flight plan for where they're going to fly a plane from one point to another. And then they work the plan. Well, planning is that same process of really figuring out where are you now? Where do you want to go? And then what's the plan for getting there? Not unlike the stagecoach was done centuries ago. So in the planning process, we're going to help a person to create that flight plan and then work the plan. That's the step of implementation. And once the plan is being worked, and as it's being worked, then we're going to finish up with evaluation. So how did the person do? And we're giving feedback and, and questioning along the way, but ultimately we're evaluating how the person did so we can start the process anew. So those are the six stages, rapport, assessment, feedback, planning, implementation, and evaluation. Now, what are we going to do in this show? Well, these six areas are really going to be the focus of the forthcoming episodes in this show and really looking at how do we do each of these areas? How do we build rapport with people effectively? What can we do in order to assess people and figure out where they are and how to then provide that information to them through feedback? We're going to talk about how do we help people plan and really create that flight plan or that plan of action to get to where they want to go and how to implement it. And then, of course, we have to look at evaluating what we do and being honest with, is this something that worked well? And if it didn't, how can we continue to adapt and to improve? And we need to do all of these if we're going to be effective leaders, with the exception of counseling. But if you're going to be an effective leader, you certainly need to lead. You need to create environments where people can achieve a shared vision. You're going to need to manage. (laughs) You're going to need to train people and mentor them and even do a little bit of consulting once in a while and make recommendations based on your expertise. And so, uh, you know, this, this show is called Coaching Skills for Leaders, but on occasion it'll be training skills for leaders. It will be mentoring skills for leaders because you can't do just one of these things if you're going to develop people effectively. But we are going to focus a tremendous amount of time on coaching so that we can help you as a leader become more effective at developing people. And so you'll want to keep in touch with this show by hopping onto Facebook and doing a search for Innovate Learning. And if you do that, you'll find our Facebook page and you can click on like and continue to get updates on articles and future shows. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Just do a search for Coaching Skills for Leaders. And of course, all of the show notes for the show are at innovatelearning.com. Just take a look and search for episode number four. And finally, if you have questions or feedback, send us email to feedback at innovatelearning.com or 877-LEARN-45. Hope the show was valuable for you today and look forward to being with you again next Monday. Have a great week, everybody. Everybody.